Ruth. Are you ready? All right, y'all give it up for Ruth as she comes forward. Facebook, y'all give it up for Ruth as she comes to read the holy, infallible word of God. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I will be reading from Isaiah chapter 58, 1 through 9. I will be reading it in English and then in Spanish. If you have it, say, I got it. If not, I'll wait. That's right. When you got it, say, amen. If you're on Facebook, you just type it when you got it. Isaiah 58, 1 through 9. That's Isaiah 58, 1 through 9. Amen. Amen. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread set cloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? It is not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide himself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you, call, then you shall call, the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speakingness, wickedness. Isaías 58, del 1 al 9. Clama a voz en cuello, no te detengas. Alza tu voz como trompeta y anuncia a mi pueblo su rebelión y a la casa de Jacob su pecado. Que me, bus que me buscan cada día y quieren saber mis caminos como gente que hubiese hecho justicia y que no hubiese dejado a la ley de su Dios. Me piden justos juicios y quieren acercarse a Dios. Porque dicen, ayunamos y no hiciste caso, humillamos nuestras almas y no te diste por entendido. He aquí que en el día de vuestro ayuno buscáis vuestro propio gusto y oprimís a todos vuestros trabajadores. He aquí que para contiendas y debates ayunáis y para herir con el puño inicuamente no ayunáis como hoy para que vuestra voz sea oída en lo alto». Es tal el ayuno que yo escogí que de día aflige el hombre su alma, que incline su cabeza como junco y haga cama de silicio y de ceniza. 
¿Llamaréis esto ayuno y día agradable a Jehová? ¿No es más bien el ayuno que yo escogí, desatar las ligaduras de impiedad, soltar las cargas de opresión y dejar ir libre a los quebrantados y que rompéis todo yugo? ¿No es que partas tu pan con el hambriento y a los pobres errantes albergues en casa, que cuando veas el desnudo lo cubras y no te escondas de tu hermano? Entonces nacerá tu luz como el alba y tu salvación se dejará ver pronto e irá tu justicia delante de ti y la gloria de Jehová será tu retaguardia. Entonces invocarás y te oirá Jehová, clamarás y dirá él, heme aquí, si sí, quitarás de en medio de ti el yugo y el dedo amanecedor y él hablará, hablar vanidad. Amén. Amén, amén. Ya give it up for Ruth one more time. Come on, Facebook, y'all give it up for Ruth. Anybody ready for the word of the Lord? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your steadfast mercy, and we pray in this hour and in this moment that you would speak in a profound way, a way, God, that will not allow us to leave this place not hearing from you. Your word is a lamp to our feet. It is food to our souls. And we say, apart from you, we are thirsty and we are hungry. But with you, Father, we have all that we need. And so would you use your preacher to teach your word, to transform your people whom you died and bought with your blood for the glory of your name. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Former prosecutor Linda Fairstein is facing was facing a barrage of criticism for the way she handled her most infamous case. This resulted in several African-American young men being wrongfully convicted for rape and assault. Those young men became known as the Central Park Five. Convicted in 1989, exonerated in 2002, and awarded a $41 million settlement from the city of New York in 2003. The Central Park Five remain in collective memory of American popular culture, especially among whistleblowers highlighting racial biases in criminal justice system. But Netflix miniseries, When They See Us, reignited fury over the case. This was in part because actor Felicia Huffman portrayed Fairstein as a villain whose racial biases fueled her campaign to coerce admission of guilt from the defendants. At the same time, she simultaneously hid evidence, all under the pretense of pursuing justice for sexual assault victims. Fairstein's success as an author was even referenced in the miniseries. In the final episode, Nancy Ryan meets with Fairstein. She pulls out several of Fairstein's books, lays them in front of her, and says, while you were writing crime novels, Kevin, Antron, Youssef, Raymond and Corey were serving time for crimes they didn't commit. To unjustly pursue justice is to pursue injustice. Let me say it again. To unjustly pursue justice is to pursue injustice. Because God cares not about outcomes. I'm sorry. God cares not only about outcomes, but just processes. You see, have good is no good. Do you know justice is part of worship? 
Did you know that justice is a part of worship? No justice, no worship. Okay, y'all wasn't with me. Okay, I figured I better slow down. No justice, no worship. I want to preach from this thought this morning. Any worship will not do. Let me say it again. Any worship will not do. Did you hear me, Will? Any worship will not do. One of the biggest issues that faces the church is not seeing the correlation between justice and worshiping God. Nothing is more distasteful to the Lord than those who sing to him but will not sing for justice. The Lord hates when we break down in tears in church but will not break the chains of the oppressed. God hates when we pray for policies that will protect our religious freedom, but not policies that will protect oppressed people. God hates when the church will fast to hear from heaven, but will not move fast to deal with the sins of racism. Uh, y'all didn't see how I played on words there. I ought to do it again. Y'all may, y'all may have missed that. The pervasive, corrupting impact of injustice leaves churches devoid of truth, justice, and righteousness. And there can be no acceptable worship without them. Let me make sure you got them. Injustice uh, leaves churches devoid of truth, justice, and righteousness. And without truth, justice, and righteousness, there can be no acceptable worship to God. We learned this from Israel, my friends. Israel, in our text today, Isaiah 58, is characterized by the false worship of hypocritical rituals. But they will quickly learn that worship is not just a private matter, but it is also a public matter. That God cares about how we treat our neighbor, and only genuine worship brings blessings from God. We start with fasting. In our text today, it's kind of funny, the stuff that's going on in this text in a very real sense, and then it's not funny. In our text today, the Jewish people are trying to touch the heart of God. Ain't that what every Christian wants to do? We want to touch the heart of God, and we want God to touch our heart. They, they are wanting God to hear their requests and move on their behalf. Can anybody relate to these people? You ever wanted God to just hear your simple requests? You, you wanted God to hear your prayer. You wanted God to answer your plea. You wanted God to answer your petition. You, 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 you're trying to be Christ-like. And in, and in an effort to be Christ-like, you're trying to pray about your situation and take your, instead of taking your situation into your own hands. Y'all not with me. There are some folks that you wanted to tell off at your job. And You've been trying not to tell all, you, you've been trying not to use words you used to use before you were saved. And so you said, Father, you got to watch over my mouth. But God, if you don't answer a prayer now, I can't promise you that today won't be the day. This may be the day. This, this, I, 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 this today, I, I've been trying. God, if you don't intervene today. Somebody may be found a restraining order on me. I can't promise. Can I be honest this morning? I've been trying to love some folks, God, and so I started fasting to get your attention. I want you to remember this, that they were fasting, to make their request known to God. So what do they do? Well, they decide to fast, and what do we know about God in fasting? 
And we fast all the time, but what do we know about God in fasting? Well, God only legislated one fast in the Old Testament. It was the Day of Atonement. You can find that in Leviticus chapter 23. It was the Jewish people who invented more fasting. It wasn't God. It was the Jewish people. During the captivity, the Jews came up with several other fasts. We see this in Zechariah 7. Note, this is what religion does. Watch it now. Lean in on this. It will obey and even multiply behavior that doesn't require a heart change. Let me say that again. Religion will obey and multiply behavior that doesn't require a heart change. Especially behavior, behavior that covers up a wicked heart. This is Lila, my three-year-old daughter. Thank you, Lila, for letting me use you week in and week out. I owe her some cookies when I get down from here. Lila did not, uh, 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 we, we were driving the other day, and Lila reached over and hit her little brother. Yeah, she just, she, uh, pow, just hit him, just bam, right there on her. He's 10 years old. She just, bam, she hit him. Uh, uh, now, don't, don't laugh at her because adults, we do the same thing. And so, and so she reaches over, she hits her little brother, and I turn around and I say, Lila, tell your little brother sorry. Y'all should have seen her attitude. She said, no. I said, Lord, have mercy. Now, on the other hand, when I say, Lila, put this dress on, she says, okay, daddy. I look pretty, don't I? One is dealing with the heart. The other makes her look pretty and covers her bad heart. So she doesn't mind putting on the dress because it doesn't require a heart change. But she does mind saying sorry because it requires a position turning of the heart. See, this is what religion will do. Religion will put on the religious clothes because it doesn't require a heart change. But when it comes to repentance and seeking justice and saying, I'm sorry, those things are a little bit harder for us to do because you can't fake it till you make it. You actually got to do something on the inside. Verses 1 through 5 deals with this. It deals with what I want to call the camouflage Christian, the cover-up. Camouflage equals the concealing of things, especially troops and military equipment by, by, by disguising them to look like their surroundings. The hardest place to find the devil or an unbeliever is in the church. The hardest place to find the devil or an unbeliever, I'm going to look down at my paper so nobody think that I'm talking about them. I'm just going to look at my paper. An unbeliever is in the church. Why? Sin cloaked with an amazing veneer of religious fervor is hard to detect the devil in unbelievers. In fact, the Bible says that the devil prays around, uh, 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 goes around like an angel of light. How does God deal with camouflage Christianity? How does God deal with camouflage Christianity? Watch this, y'all. Here it is. I'm not lying. He, he, he tells Isaiah, shout it out from the rooftops. Right. Oh, y'all didn't catch it. Uh, let me show you in the verse. I'm not making this up. God said, shout it out aloud and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. I don't know if you caught it, 
But God will call your tail out. God will call you out. God will put your business in the street. He will drag it out. He tells Isaiah, no, don't whisper it. Don't pull them to the side. He said, shout it out so that everybody and their mama know that my people are acting hypocritical. You say why? Because camouflage Christianity is the most dangerous type of Christianity. What is more what, uh, which is more dangerous? A poisonous snake you can see or one you can't see? And those who do see ought to do what? They ought to warn you that there's a poisonous snake. God says, call it out. What does camouflage Christianity look like? It's okay to call it out, but how can we call out something that we cannot identify? If we're going to call out camouflage Christianity, we're going to have to be able to identify it. I'm glad that Isaiah breaks it down for us. I'm glad that he makes it plain for us. This is what he says. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. Are you with me? And they ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Camouflage Christians love to come to worship. They love the atmosphere of worship. They love the lights in the fog. Y'all know they make services foggy now. You can get a foggy service if you want to, so you can hide better in the fog. Can't nobody see you. If you're cutting your eyes, somebody don't nobody know through the fog, they can't see you. That's why pastors got to get them little glasses that can see through the fog. They make it foggy now. They love the language of songs that talk about the nearness of God. They love to lift their hands in the sanctuary. They love to do morning devo, but they don't love their neighbor. And how does this happen? It happens when we stop coming to truly worship God, but come to enjoy the atmosphere created by worship. Let me say that again. I need you to get this. I need you to feel this. The disconnect comes when we stop coming to worship God and we fall in love with an atmosphere of worship. This is, this is real. The danger, the way John Piper puts it, the danger is when we suddenly slip from loving God to loving, loving God. When we slip from loving God to loving, loving God. These people are not happy. J. Cole said it like this. I'd rather be happy being myself than said trying to please everyone else. That's for somebody. I'm going to say it again. Y'all didn't know that J. Cole could preach. I'm going to preach it for you, though. I'd rather be happy being myself than said trying to please everyone else. I, th I said, thank you, J. Cole. You just helped me preach. I got my own line. I said, I I'd rather be happy being a real Christian than said trying to be a fake one. Okay, I'll say it again. I'd rather be happy being a real Christian than sad trying to be a fake one. We need a mind renovation on what true worship is. In America, it has boiled down to singing songs and feeling good. That's what we boil worship down to. 
when in fact, how you treat people at work or home on Monday is the supreme test of acceptable worship. Standing up for the poor and the fatherless and the homeless and against injustice is the supreme test of acceptable worship. Stay with me. I'm going I'm to preach to you. Any worship will not do, Bethel Gary. What happens in your heart when you see George Floyd and what makes and it doesn't make your feet move is the test of acceptable worship. If our Sunday worship doesn't align with our Monday worship, we are camouflaging on Sunday mornings. And we open ourselves up to hypocrisy. We ought not just feel something when we see Breonna Taylor, but be moved to do something. You see, when we detail cars, we want to clean the window on the inside and on the outside. If you just clean it on the outside, you can't really see through the other side. You see, true worshipers want to be clean on the inside. And they want to be clean on the outside. And the reason why they want to be clean on the inside and on the outside, because they ain't got nothing to hide. But when you got something to hide, you don't want to be, you don't want people to see clearly through you. Because if they saw you for who you really are, they would know that you don't love God as much as you say that you do and that you don't love people as much as you say that you do. Now, don't get me wrong. None of us are perfect. We all got our mess. Thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ. But when you know that the blood is sufficient enough, you don't no longer have to hide your junk or keep on to your junk because not only does he cover your junk, he actually helps you get up out of your junk. I hate it, church. I hate it. I got to be honest. I hate it. I hate that we try to judge the authenticity of worship by the songs we sing. We try to judge it by how low or or how loud we sing. We try to judge it by how many repetitive words it has. We try to judge it by the genre we sing. We try to judge it by the emotions we feel. Did they make me shout? Y'all not going to talk back to me, okay? Come. Did they make me run this Sunday? Mm-hmm. Did, did they make me jump? Okay, on the other side. Was the worship calm enough? Was it quiet enough? Please do not judge your worship or anyone else's worship mainly by Sunday. The supreme test is the parking lot. I'm not going to even give you till you get home because some of y'all can't last when you get to the parking lot. (laughs) The true test of worship is in the parking lot, not in this room. The supreme test is Monday through Saturday. Did you know while the Pharisees were plotting Jesus' death, they were still trying to observe religion? That while they, were try, while they were plotting to kill the Savior, they were still trying to obey the Sabbath. This is, this is hilarious. While they are planning and plotting the death of Jesus, they are observing the meat that they eat. This is camouflage Christianity. 
Look at what's going on in their souls. Look at the depth of their blindness. That they want to kill the very essence of love while calling themselves being obedient to God. This is how serious camouflage, this is how deadly it is. This is how deceitful our hearts are. This is how foggy our minds can become. These are Bible scholars. These are those who recorded the scriptures. They're functionally trying to kill Jesus while simultaneously trying to observe the scriptures. Did you know while slave masters were whipping slaves, they were still trying to observe religion? Did you know that, that, that while churches were preaching the gospel, they refused to let people of color come in? Did you know that many seminaries were writing systematic theology books while at the same time uh, participating in systematic, systemic oppression? Did you know that some lift their hands on Sunday and use those same hands on Monday to do domestic violence? Camouflage Christianity is dangerous. It is being around God while never being touched by God or truly wanting to be touched by God. God tells us that what real worship is. God in this text articulates for us what real worship is. And God gets to define worship, not you. God gets to define what's acceptable worship to him, not you. You don't get to do that, which is why we need to get back to the place where we subject ourselves to the authority of Scripture. That you don't get to bring God whatever worship you feel is fitting for the day. You don't get to bring God whatever worship is comfortable for you for the day. And you don't want to be the one defining the parameters of your worship. Because when you get to defining the parameters of your worship, it's going to be centered around you and not centered around God. And you wonder why you're still stressed out and you're never happy? It's because you're trying to worship according to your definition of worship instead of worshiping according to God's definition of worship. But a moment of clarity. A moment of clarity. Religion is not quiet times. I want to be clear. Religion is not tithing. I want to be clear. Religion is not fasting. I want to be clear. Religion is not striving after holiness. I need to be clear. After all, if you read Matthew 6 as Jesus toggles back and forth between self-righteous and religious Pharisees and his disciples whom he's trying to lead them to live a gospel-centered life, he doesn't say to not pray, to not give, to not fast. Jesus assumed that his disciples would do that. That's why in Matthew 6, Jesus constantly says, when you pray, when you give, and when you fast. I want to be clear that there's nothing wrong with those things. So his problem is not with the deeds. I hope that all of us are getting into the word daily, amen? I hope that all of us are giving, amen? I hope that all of us are praying, amen? His problem, and this is the spirit of religious are the motives behind the deeds. And how do we know their motives behind their deeds are bad? And this is good, because as you see 
how we know their motives are bad. You need to now examine yourself to see if your motives are bad. It's easy to point the finger at the Pharisees. It's harder to point the finger at your own heart. But how do we know their deeds are bad? We're not in their hearts, Jesus. And to be quite frankly, sometimes I don't know if my motives are good or bad. Anybody else is as crazy as me. Sometimes I don't know whether my motives are good. Sometimes I don't know if they're bad. Sometimes I don't know if I'm going for you, Jesus, or I'm going after something else. Okay, I'm the only crazy person in here. I'm the only one with worship schizophrenia. That's all right. I stand by myself. Now watch what he does. We know that their motives were bad because they hated justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Sunday worship can only be proven by Monday living. Listen to what Jesus says. Watch it. I'm not making this up. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Jesus said that, (laughs) y'all. Woe to you, teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Watch this. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, Deal and come. Here it is. They're tithing from their seasoning cabinet. I hope y'all see it. They're tithing from their seasoning cabinet. But then Jesus says this. But you neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus says, I ain't got nothing. I ain't got no beef with you tithing. But my problem is, is that you're quick to tithe, which is a behavior thing, but you will not pursue justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And he calls those the weightier parts of the law. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He calls them you blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. It's not the Jesus we, we normally hear about. The press hair, cute Jesus. <laughs> this dude is going in on these dudes. He's keeping it all the way 100. Jesus is all gas, no brakes in this text. He is not playing with them. You see, prayer, fellowship, tithing are important. Jesus says as much. However, they mean nothing if you don't practice justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So what is, so what is the worship that will do? Worship that will do first is loving justice. We see this in verse 6. It's not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and to tie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Friends, true fasting is not about starving yourself, but starving injustice. Let me say it again. True worship is not a matter of starving yourself more than it is starving injustice. God wants injustice not to have a seat at our dinner tables. God wants us to tell injustice, you got to go. You cannot eat at this house. You cannot eat at this church. If you think that you're going to eat here, you got another thing coming. God wants injustice not to have a seat at our dinner table. If we truly are all about him, we must be truly all against injustice. Watch it now. He said the fast or worship I choose is to untie the cords of the yoke 
that is set that 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 is set on the oppressed. I'm sorry. Uh, the fast the 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 the, the fast of worship I choose is to untie the cords of the yoke that is set on the oppressed. What is a yoke? Now here's where you need to know. The, uh, uh, this is what you need to know about yoke. A yoke was a work instrument. It was a wooden contraption that would put that that they would put on an animal. And, and yoke him to another animal. I think I got a picture. If you can throw that up. A yoke in Hebrew meant a burden. That's what yoke means. It means burden. God is telling his people to unburden people. Injustice makes life hard for people that look like you. They got a brain like you. They got a heart like you. It makes it hard for people to thrive and survive. The unjust yoke of America has made minorities weary and worn out. God is not pleased. So true worship fights to remove the yoke of injustice. Okay, let me say it again. Watch the correlation. True worship fights to remove the burden, the yoke of injustice, such as abortion. In human trafficking. Why do we care about those things? Because we care about people. And why do we care about people? Because God cares about people. What does it look like to loosen the yokes of injustice? It is to fight against discriminatory lending practices. Redlining and housing. We fight against school to prison pipelines. Schools that are set to send young black and brown boys to prison. We fight against predatory lending, discriminatory pay. What does it look like for God's people embedded in today's society to worship? They address systemic racism, sexism, and classism. Friends, these are the worship song God loves to hear. This is the praise acceptable to God. Worship that'll do is caring for the hungry. Now I want to show y'all, as always, that this is just not Old Testament talk. I need y'all to know that this is not just Old Testament talk. All right? So I did my homework, and I'm going to help y'all out. I made a nice little chart. I'm going to make it real simple. I'm going to make it real plain for everybody. I want you to see the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that God didn't change when he got over to the New Testament. Here it is. Go ahead and throw that chart up. I'm going to compare Isaiah 58 and 7 with Matthew 25, 35 through 40. It says this in verse 7 in Isaiah. I'm going to take it very slow because I want to make sure that you're tracking with me. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? That's what he says in verse 7 in Isaiah. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 25, at verse 35, this is what you're going to see. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Worship team, if you coming up, I'm not ready yet. For, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Chris, can you do me a favor and turn that camera towards that screen so the people online can see this? Okay, here's the next verse. In Isaiah, he says, and bring the homeless poor into your house. That's what Isaiah said. Now listen to what Jesus says. 
I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Do you see it? Are you seeing the correlation? Here's the next one. When you seek, this is Isaiah, this is the Old Testament. When you seek the naked to cover him. Now here's Jesus. I was naked and you what? And you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Here's another one. Here's Isaiah. And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Here's Matthew 25, verse 40. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You see, what we do for others is the worship that we'll do. Now, I'm not saying you do this to get saved. When Jesus lists these things in Matthew, he's not telling us how to get saved. He's telling us what saved people do. He's not telling us how to get into the kingdom. He's telling you how you know if you're in the kingdom. He says if you're in the kingdom, you're going to clothe the naked. You're going to feed the poor. You're going to love your enemy. This is the thing that my people do. And this is worship to me. That in our minds, and we got to get this in our hearts, that when you feed someone, it's like you're raising your hands in worship. That, that, that when you clothe the naked, it's like you're singing praise to God. There is no distinguish between the two. If you don't do one, you're not doing the other. God wants to see that your singing is in correlation with your Saturday and Monday worship. As Jesus says, that you got to clothe the naked. What I'm saying is if you neglect justice and compassion for the poor and the oppressed, there is something wrong with your relationship with God. If you don't care about the poor, if you don't care about the homeless, I'm not just preaching just to be preaching up here. If you don't care about systems that oppress people, that doesn't bother you. That doesn't keep you up late at night sometimes. That doesn't cause your feet to move. There is something wrong with your relationship with God. There is no way that the love of God can reside inside of you and you don't have a heart for those who look like him that are not thriving and surviving. There's something wrong with your relationship. The righteous answer him saying, watch this. This is how we know. Because Jesus tells us what kind of people will carry these things out. Watch it. It's in the verse. Watch it in Matthew. Watch it very slow. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? Jesus says the righteous will answer him that. And then he told them, this is what you did. Righteous people do this in service and worship to Jesus. Who is righteous? Those who trust in Jesus. Who is righteous? Those who have the righteousness of Jesus imputed to them. By faith alone, through Christ alone? Who worships Jesus? Christians? Who then is concerned with taking off the yoke of the oppressed? Christians? 
There is only one yoke we should be wearing. There is only one yoke we all should be wearing. And the one yoke we should want others to wear is the yoke of Jesus. Hold on, Jesus. What you mean, Pastor, the yoke of Jesus? Here's the beauty about Jesus. He gives hope to the oppressor and those who are oppressed. Watch the dynamic of the gospel. I love the, the, the gospel. I love how it can move and shift through all kind of different circumstances and situations. The gospel is good for the oppressor, and it's, a good, and it's good for the oppressed. This is the beauty of the gospel. You ought to shout and worship God after understanding this. This is the beauty and the depth and the dynamic and the magnitude and the fullness and the wholeness and the height and the depth and the beauty and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's right here. It's good for the oppressor and it's good for the oppressed. He tells the oppressor, not only am I asking you to live right and do right, but I'll be right here to help you do right. I can make you right. That's the beauty of Jesus, oppressor. I can make you right. Then I could come alongside of you and help you to live right. I wish I had some people in the room that knew that God didn't just make you right, but he came alongside of you and he caused you to be right. This is why we sing, oh, my soul, oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I'm found. But I'm glad that when he found me, he didn't toss me back in the lost and found. He came around, around. Around my way, walk with me, talk with me, clean me up, change my speech, gave me a heart for the poor, gave me a heart. God did it. When God gets a hold of you, there's no maybe change, there's no might change, there's a guarantee that you will change because Jesus doesn't say, now baby, I cleaned you up, gone on your way. Jesus says, no baby, I cleaned Job, now I'm going to walk with you for how long? All the days of your life so that sin will never get a grip on you again. So that your oppressed ways will never get a grip on you again. I can save Pharaoh if I want to. I can save who I want to save when I want to save him because no one is outside of my jurisdiction. Righteous people. Said, not only can I make you right, I could come alongside you and help you live right. You ain't got to do this alone. Praise God. Now, Jesus doesn't come along the oppressor to help him oppress. We got to be clear. I got I to be clear here. God doesn't come alongside the oppressor. He doesn't yoke himself to the oppressor to help the oppressor oppress. I got to say this because historically we've seen Christianity weaponized, theology weaponized to oppress people. We, they use Jesus as a means of oppressing folks. I came to tell you that that's not the Jesus that we serve. He's not a kind of God that yokes himself to sin. In fact, he died for sin in order to get rid of sin. Why in the world would you die for something that you hate and then come alongside the same thing that you hate? Now, Jesus doesn't come along the oppressor to help the oppressor. 
No, he comes to set the oppressor free. And then turns around and says, now you set those up under you free. Y'all remember Zacchaeus? Little Zacchaeus, God saved him. After he saved him, what did he do? After he cleaned Zacchaeus up. Zacchaeus turned around. He was an oppressor. He turns around and he sets those free whom he was oppressing. Because that's what Jesus does. He frees the oppressor from his, from his oppressing. Jesus makes a passionate plea. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Hold on, Jesus. Yokes are burdensome, right? Jesus is saying, not mine. But Jesus, you said putting yokes on people is unjust. God requires his people to walk in justice and righteousness. He requires us to do right. But Jesus doesn't ask us to do it alone. Remember, a yoke was used to pair two animals together to carry the load to do the work. That's the beauty of the gospel, friends. And not only... Does Jesus makes us completely righteous, but he comes alongside of us that we might live righteously or walk in justice. This is the hope for the racist. This is the hope for the, for, for, for the, for, 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 for the dude who, who's a misogynist. This is the hope. This is the hope for the liar. This is the hope for the thief. The difference between gospel living and religious living is that gospel living now guarantees that I'm yoked to Jesus Christ who bears those burdens with me. Y'all remember how the old folks say he's a burden sharer, a heavy load carrier. He helps me to live justly and righteously. Here it is in scripture, just in case. Chris, they thought I was lying. I always got to bring my text. Which is good because I know y'all students of the word. You guys are very educated. I know who I'm preaching to. It's a bunch of budding theologians in the congregation. So I got to make sure that I show you the word. Here it is in Philippians. Just to prove that Jesus comes alongside of us in our salvation. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There it is. There's the command. Work it out, work it out, work it out, work it out. But I love the second half of the verse. For it is God... For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see it? God yokes with us in salvation. Jesus yokes himself to the oppressed as well, though. I think Jesus' invitation to come, yes, primarily is to the oppressing and religious leaders, but I do not want to be legalistic about that. I think we can broaden it out. To say Jesus is saying to everyone who's been wearied, every, everyone who's been hurt, everyone who's been burned, everyone who's been weighed down by the troubles and trials of life, everyone who is suffering from it, just Jesus says, come to me. That's a bold statement. You tell people to come to you, they're going to be disappointed in a week. When Jesus say, come to me, <laughs> he can deliver on his promise. There's no trouble or trial or injustice too insignificant for him. I love the way Brian Loritz says it. He says, here's what Jesus wants us to understand about the gospel. The gospel doesn't promise the absence of burdens. It is not the absence of trials. It is not the absence of traumas. It is not the absence of injustice. You can talk to slaves in the cotton fields if you think that the gospel is absent of these things. It is not absent of tribulations. The difference between gospel living and religions living is that gospel living now guarantees that I'm yoked to Jesus Christ. 
who bears those burdens with me. It is why David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I should fear no evil. Why, David? David doesn't deny that there won't be valleys in life. Yes, there will be. But the difference for the believer is we have someone to go through the valley with. Man, if y'all knew what I just said, y'all would be shouting right now. Many of you should have died in the valley. You should have lost your mind in the valley. You should have gave up a long time ago. You should have quit a long time ago. But even you on Facebook, you're sitting there typing, and you're at church because God didn't allow you to go through the valley alone. Oh, I wish that we knew God, that we walk with him like the saints used to do. That no one is on there going through trials and tribulations. They'll be washing dishes and humming to him and singing to him, sweet hymns to him, making songs and spiritual songs to him because they knew him. Oh, that we'll sing to him. Oh, that we'll worship him. Oh, those of you who are oppressed and going through and feeling like there's no, no way out, I want to remind you that God is with you. Now look at verse 40. I love this. Oh, I did my homework. Y'all going to love this. At verse 40, he says, take my yoke. Here's the reason why. He says, for my yoke is easy. Hmm. You didn't shout. You didn't shout. Hmm. Let me see. Okay, preacher, you're going to have to preach it. They're going to get this. Okay, here it is. Let me say it again. He says in verse 40, he says, for my yoke is easy. You hear me, Miss Harper? Here it is. He says that my yoke is easy. You didn't get excited because you haven't did your homework yet. It's not until you do your homework that you understand that your shout is actually embedded in this text right here. Here it is. This Greek word for easy, this Greek word for easy, it means custom built. It means tailor made. This is where the background is helpful. Whenever you would yoke two animals together, they would never just take one size fit all, Chris. No, that's not what they did. But instead, the carpenter would go to the animal and he would measure the animal's neck and would custom make a yoke because he wanted to make sure that the yoke wouldn't be too heavy, that it wouldn't be too loose, and it wouldn't chaff the neck. He tailor-made and custom-made a yoke for the animal to make sure that the yoke would be easy, that he, would, that he could bear the burden. Well, friends, I know another carpenter by the name of Jesus, that the yoke that he gives you is not just any yoke. The yoke that he gave you, the trial that he gave you, the situation that he gave you, the, the complication that he gave you, he custom built it. He custom made it so that it wouldn't kill you or break you. That, that by the time you got on the other side of that thing, you'll be better than when you went into that thing. That's the power of the carpenter, that he wants to make sure that whatever he sends you through, it makes you better. Oh, that Jesus, not only does he custom mix the yoke, as we go through these injustices, as we go through these difficulties, family, as we as a church, I'm talking about black brothers, white brothers, aging brothers, as we, as, as, as we lock together, Jesus didn't just make a yoke. For you to carry, but y'all remember that the yoke was made to yoke you next to someone. The same carpenter that made the yoke is the same carpenter that gets in on the other side of the yoke. 
And this is the beauty that sets him apart from all the other carpenters. The other carpenters gave the yoke so the animals could do the work. But I love Jesus because Jesus doesn't just make the yoke. He gets up in the yoke. Oh, man, I love He's the kind of carpenter that's humble enough that doesn't say, I'm going to leave it to, to you to do the work. I'm going to come alongside of you. I'm going to walk with you so that you don't carry it alone. I'm the kind of God. Now, now, now understand that, that I could have stayed in heaven. I could have stayed in the courts of glory. I didn't have to come down here. There was no sin in me. I could have stayed in the courts of glory, but I was humble enough. And loving enough that I didn't leave you alone. Because here's the thing. I love God. Because God knows that if he would have gave you the yoke by yourself. And if it was just your husband or your wife on the other side of the yoke. He knows that y'all would be fighting and y'all would never make it. He knew if he left the yoke just to us. We wouldn't get down the field. Ain't you glad that God knows you? We'll be, y'all know we was yoked together. We'll be, I mean, we can't be in a car ride together. We, 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 right here, we, we going at it. We, 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 we going at it. So, so, so Jesus said, and you know what I'm going to do is what I'm going to do is that I'm going to get on the side of you because I'm strong enough. I'm big enough. I'm mighty enough so that late in the midnight hour when you want to quit and you want to give up, you're going to experience power that you never experienced. You're going to experience joy that you never experienced going to experience peace that you never experienced. So those who are looking on say you should have stopped a long time ago. But they'll look around and you'll still be moving. And they'll be astonished. And in that he'll get all of the glory. And he's with us. Yes he is. Through every situation and every circumstance. Friends. What is the result when we begin to make the correlation between justice and worship. What happens when we care for the hungry? What happens when we care for the oppressed? What happens when we care for those who are suffering domestic violence? What happens when we care about black and brown boys going to prison through the school to prison pipeline. What, 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 what happens when the church steps into these spheres? What, 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 what happens? What does, what does God do? What does God promise? This is good because oftentimes we're waiting on goosebumps and a revival when it's actually rooted in how we treat those who have no voice. Didn't make this up. It's in the text. Here it is. Watch the condition. Watch the promise. Verses 6 through 7 says, fast by caring for the poor. Here's the promise in verses 8 and 9. Light, health, righteousness, and the Lord shall answer. Remember at the beginning, they're praying, they're fasting, asking God to answer them. God says, I'm not going to answer you. You need to do this, and then I'll respond to you with my light and my love and my joy. Here it is in verse 9b and 10a. Here's the condition. Free the oppressed. Feed the hungry. Verses 10b through 12, light, the Lord shall guide thee. Worship team is coming back at this time. Friends, you're waiting on goosebumps 
You're waiting on feeling the presence of God. You're waiting on what fog machines cannot deliver. You're waiting on what spotlights cannot deliver. You're waiting on what shouting and running around the sanctuary cannot deliver. You're waiting for the presence of God. You're waiting for the answer from God when the reality is God says, when you do what I told you to do, then you'll see me on the move. Then you'll experience me like you never did before. I wish I had some people that finally got over themselves and didn't make them, their lives all about themselves. And you start doing outreach. And you've had more peace than you ever done. I, I wish I had some people that open up their homes to children who didn't have any homes. And you talk to them and ask them that they feel the presence of God in their house. That they have more joy than they ever had before. The reason we're not happy is because we're so dog on selfish. I don't know about you, but I want to see God move. I want to see him do great and mighty things. I got a short period on this life. I want to make it count. I don't want to wake up and just think about me every single day. I want to challenge you this morning. What are you doing to help poor people? What are you doing to help those who suffer injustice? There's a lot of options out there. Just pick one. And I promise you, the light of God will break through in your house. I promise you, God will do great and mighty things. And might I say, if we're saved, we ought to want to do it. Because that's what Jesus did. Amen.